This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. We started out with is looking at some of the negative connotations of that, that term holiness or to be holy. And I had you throw out a lot of words, a lot of phrases, and we came up with phrases like cult, exclusivity, self-righteousness, legalism. And these terms were reflective of, of two things. First and foremost, they're reflective of some of the external perspectives that you say people looking in may say about the term holiness or that term holy. But at the same time, I want to make sure this is a comprehensive study and understand that if, if some of these terms or if we didn't throw out terms last week that reflect perhaps some of your own internal feelings when you think of the ter- term holiness or to be holy, it, it's, it's, I don't think we're getting anywhere. So some of these terms, it's good that we put these out there to kind of address the elephant in the room. But again, they're, they're a combination of both external and internal. Because I think the biggest thing we have to do, deal with first is the internal. Amen? Okay. We identified that what's the scriptural definition of holiness, and that is actually being separate unto God. And I want to kind of highlight this a little bit. We're going to run through, but this is just a recap of last week. Separation starts on two fronts. Okay. So when we talk about separation unto God, um, we get the fact that there are some things that we don't do, right? There are some things because we have a relationship with God we, we may not watch or places we may not go or some activities we may not be involved with. So separation, I think we get the fact that it starts externally, okay? But one of the biggest things I think is overlooked is we don't understand that separation is also internal. And so for many of you, here's what I'm talking about tonight, is that separation for many of us in here means that you are going to have to begin to start dealing with some of the negativity and the dialogue and the chatter that you have inside yourself. Separation is going to first start with some of you separating from yourself. Before you start separating from everybody else, yeah, you got that down. But the stuff that we tell ourselves, I'm no good. This is always the way it's going to be. I've always failed. I haven't had any success up until now. This is why I am the way I am. That's that dialogue of that internal chatter that, you know, we consistently tell ourselves long after those voices have stopped saying it, long after the external has been, we have an internal separation that God is calling us to, to stop with this stuff. Okay? All right. One of the things we touched on, and I, I don't think I touched on it last week, but separation should not be isolation. Okay? Does everybody understand that? Separation should not be isolation. And so one of the things we do is that when you and I leave certain behaviors or certain things, and I'll just make this up. If, if God's calling you, let's say you're in a relationship that's illicit, okay? I'm not, not calling anybody out here. 
but if someone's in a relationship that's illicit, okay, if God's calling you to separate yourself from that stuff, that separation isn't for you to be alone, okay? You know, I don't think the scripture ever highlights that isolation is, alone, is good. Never highlights that. In fact, when you take a look in the Bible, we talked about this on Sunday, the very first state that God made everything, it was good, right? After every day that he had creation, he said it was good. And on the, the, the last day, he says, it is not good for a man to be alone. So even in the perfect state before the fall, God saw that isolation was not good. It was not good. And so naturally what we have to understand is that if you're being called to separate yourself from something or someone, a big factor is to understand is that you're not called to isolate yourself. You're called to actually begin to get with people, people that are going to hold you to those original convictions of why you left in the first place, okay? Any men's retreats, women's retreats, conferences, I think all of them wrap up the same way. You know what they usually have you do? Get together with somebody, share what you, uh, share kind of what you're struggling with and develop what they call a, a accountability partner, right? Accountability partner. But when we talk about holiness, and that may be a little bit redundant, but that's extremely valuable is that separation should not be the isolation. So your separation should be pushing you closer to God. And so the question I have is that if you have accountability partner, does that person, okay, does that person push you in your relationship with Christ? One of the things about us, and I'm, gonna, I'm putting my hand up here tonight with you. You know what we like to do? We keep people around us that are in our own sphere of life, that we're comfortable with, that are our contemporaries, that think like us, that, that, that are our same speed in life, okay? Similar in age, similar in likes, similar in the things we do. But one of the things we have to realize is that does your accountability partner perhaps push you spiritually? Do you have somebody in your life that you can look to that's doing something better spiritually? Let me give you an example. Okay, I'm using my wife. She's not here, so I can use it. Not, nothing bad. Okay, my wife is, is, a, is a desire to, to this is, I'm going to share this with you. If she were here, she, she, her prayer life is not as consistent as she would want it to be. Okay, and one of the things she ended up doing is she ended up on Saturday mornings joining Sister Moingen and Sabina's prayer group. There's about six ladies, and on Saturday, they call down fire. They call down fire, okay? But what she realized is that in order to push herself, okay, to establish a more consistent, disciplined prayer life, she had to get around some, now, again, again mind you, these are not her contemporaries, Okay, they have children, Sister Wellenstein, okay, Sister McGowan, they have children that are her age. But she realized that these women okay, are a group of women to look up to as how they consistently pray. And so when we talk about separation, not, should not be to isolation, figure out who in your life okay, is doing something that's drawing them closer to God in their relationship. And that's who you want as accountability partner. Do you have a mentor in your life? 
somebody ahead of the game, not somebody in, in your own shoes, not somebody you can go kicking it with, but somebody that's going to push you, somebody at some point in time, you know what, they have a, a, a right or a rule to somehow, you know what, put a finger in your chest and say, stop it. Cut it out. And you'll respect it. And I'll be the first to tell you, we don't like that. We like hanging around folks that are our same speed, don't we? But it behooves me sometimes, you know what, to come alongside it. It's a, an elder, or it doesn't have to be an elder age-wise. It can be an elder spiritually, because age has nothing to do with it, okay? Some folks are ahead of the game, and their age is, is whoo. But it behooves me to get get by somebody who can call some stuff out in my life. And I'll listen to them. Okay? All right. We transition to the fact that the root word for holy is whole. Whole, right? It's whole. And one of the things I kind of tried to drill in a little bit is to understand that that word whole is a word that is screaming within our culture today. People consistently want somewhere to go to where they can comprehensively get all of their needs met. Your Costco is Whole Foods. Costco, wholesale, Whole Foods. Okay, Marketing understands that this term whole is because people want something that is a perfection. They want a comprehensive, something that they can go where they can say, I don't have to shop at this store, that store, that store to get everything I need. I can go to one place and get everything in one shot, okay? And that, that messaging is screaming. It's, you see that in culture, but what that does, it really screams to what each and every individual in our culture wants is they want something that can meet all of their needs, all of their needs. We find people grasping for straws. I get my need met over here, but there's something missing. So I go here, and I get a little bit here, and I get validation here, but there's something missing. But the only, this is slide, the only thing that can comprehensively meet all of your needs, your desires, is Jesus Christ. That's it. Until you get a hold of that, I, I got nothing. And so Jesus, we, we touched on this last week. One of the last questions I left you with was that when you take a look in the New Testament, he was consistently asking people, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? And there's a big difference, and I'm, I'm going to turn a little bias here, okay? Depends on what version of the Bible you read. And this is why I kind of I lean, I'm a leaner toward the King James. Because some stuff you read in some other versions doesn't open it up like the King James. He, he goes, and we're going we're gonna to break this down. We're going to get into the story of the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. But when you take a look at King James, there's a big difference between me asking you, do you want to be whole or do you want to be healed? And it speaks to the fact that Pastor Kirk two weeks ago had us taking a look at all of these uh, questions that people had that they submitted, right? And we realized these questions were only the tip of the iceberg, Okay. And we said, that's what the folks out there are saying. You know, they got all these questions about God and faith and religion. But at the end of the day, a lot of us, the issues that we have in our lives 
are only tips of the iceberg of, of, of really deeper, more comprehensive issues that we are working on. And so when Jesus would approach individuals, he's not just coming here to solve the surface stuff. And that's why he asked you, do you want to be made clean? I'm not coming here for the Romans and the taxes and all that. I'm coming here for the whole kit and caboodle. Comments, questions? All right. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. All right. We're going to be in two passages tonight. We're going to be taking a look at first two things. We're going to take a look at Jesus' approach his ministry and this idea of, uh, of being versus the law. And then what we're also going to do is we're going to take a deep dive into a specific encounter that Jesus had with a man who the Bible says was impotent. And again, he would pose that question to him, do you want to be made whole? But let's start in Matthew here, Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to give you some context here. So Matthew chapter 5, this begins the what you call the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Okay. Sermon on the Mount actually begins by Jesus giving another teaching, and his teaching is called the Beatitudes, okay? And the Beatitudes, and we could do an entire study on the Beatitudes alone. They're rich. I mean, they're extremely rich. But in understanding the Beatitudes, one of the things you have to do is you have to understand um, Jesus' presentation of this compared to what the people were used to. And the Beatitudes on a, a, a I want to say they're different, but... They're going to give a more comprehensive perspective on the law. Okay? So the law is about thou shalt not. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Do not use the, name, the Lord's name in vain. Do not, do not, don't do. And we highlighted that last week. Is that typically one of the most negative connotations with holiness is it's a list of rules. Right? It's a list of don't do's, of what you have to do, what you shouldn't do. But what's going to happen is that when Jesus launches into these Beatitudes, okay, it's, it's not going to be, a, it's, the Beatitudes aren't encouraging you to do things. They're encouraging you of what you need to be. What should you become? Okay, instead of doing, it's about being. Jesus' entire ministry was about being, okay? Is it, so that's why you come up to you and say, do you want to be whole? You don't do whole. You either are whole or you aren't whole. And understand what the, the essence, you know, you know what being is? Being is, it's, it's a deeper concept. It's deeper than just what you do. It's deeper than what your actions are, okay? When you and I shift the focus to being versus doing, you operate in a completely different level, okay? Because when we talk about doing, okay, here's what happens when you do stuff. Doing has a start and it has a, an end, but being does not stop. You can measure what a person does, but being never, it never turns off. And so, you know, we've started to scratch the surface on this just a little bit when you've heard us say, okay, we're, we're, it's about not doing church but being the church. You know, we've, we started that. 
We've only scratched the surface of what that actually means in the individual application of your lives. Being, not doing. And that's what the laws, the laws were about doing. When Jesus steps onto the scene, he's going to shift the paradigm and say, no, 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 no. Okay. Being. I'll give you examples. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And it's a difference between giving mercy and saying, I, I am merciful. Part of stepping into this state will require that what we have to do is consistently, and this is what you and I have to do, go into God's word and constantly define who you are. You've got to do that on a daily basis. If you're going to step into a, a level of being, okay, because you still, I, I want to make sure we don't throw out doing. You still, need new, you still need action. You know, faith without works is dead. You still have to do things, okay? But you're going to have to first define who you are on a consistent basis because there's going to be days where you don't feel like a child of God. And can I be honest with you here? Give me days, I'm going to tell you, I don't feel like a pastor some days. <laughs> some days you want to say, you, you cut me off. You know, but you're going to have to, if, if, you, if you want to step into being, you're going to have to consistently go to God's word, okay, and be reminded of who you are. Because otherwise, they'll tell you who you are. And sometimes, you know what happens? We'll tell ourselves who we are, or who we think we are. You got to remind yourself that I'm free from sin. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. You got to remind yourself that I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm not a slave to sin. You got to remind yourself that I've you got you have to remind yourself of who you are, being versus doing. Because once you get stepped into being, you know what happens with the doing? It comes naturally. It's it's the being is about the essence of who you are. You don't you don't, once you, once you're being you know you go to bed okay. You're, you still are who you are. If you're doing, you stop. You did it, and it stops. It's done. Being. All right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and this is where I want to make sure that we don't get into the context thinking I'm talking about throw out the laws, get rid of them. Jesus says this, and he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I, I, am not to I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so what does that word fulfill mean? You know, what does fulfill mean? Complete, yeah. What up? She, she nailed it. Anybody else want to add to it? You gave a complete answer. Mm. Yeah. Perfect it. Make it whole. Complete it. Make it come to fruition. Okay? Make it applicable. He says, I'm not coming to destroy these laws. I'm coming to make them whole. Make them, make them have life. Make them have pop. Make them have power. Make them so that you're not going through the motions. 
okay, make it so that, that, that it makes you alive, okay? You don't do what you do just because you do it. You do it because that's, that's who I am. That's what I do. I do it because that's who I am, okay? It's second nature. He says this, John chapter 13, verse 34, and, and watch this now. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love another. He gives a, he gives a deeper, deeper commandment. He says, you love one another as I have loved you. He says, I give you what? It's a new commandment, right? So if there's a new commandment, we have to understand that there's a what? A old commandment. If he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, he says, there's, previously there's an old commandment. So listen, what's the old commandment? Anybody know the old commandment? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And when you, whoever has it, please read it. Sword in hand. Sword in hand. Okay, so this is, remember what Jesus says, Jesus says, behold, I give you a new commandment. Well, he's reading the old commandment. So this is, if you have a Thompson chain Bible or one of those chain Bibles, I highly suggest it because it makes this stuff come alive, makes it, makes it 4D. This is the old commandment. Okay, so thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou um, shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. All right, let's contrast those now. So the old commandment says, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment says, ah, okay, you love one another as I have loved you. See the, see the difference there? You don't love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as I have loved you, okay? Because the old commandment says, let me love my neighbor in, in, in the eyes of what I would deem as being fair. The new commandment says, nah, not what you deem as being fair, but you love your neighbor as I love you, okay? And here, here's the difference between that. Anybody, a couple years back, remember that book, The Five Love Languages? Remember that? Okay, Five Love Languages basically identifies that there are five ways that people, people, when people feel loved, okay? Uh, acts of service, physical touch, um, words of affirmation, uh, service, and quality time. Those are the five, okay? Oh, gifts, sorry, thank you, thank you, gifts, sorry about that, gifts, I missed that one, okay, so those are five ways that, that, that basically you fall in one of those five categories as to when that's expressed, you feel love, not, not that the others don't matter, but there's, there's one way that you say, ooh, that gets me, that really gets me, but in that book, he's going to talk about the fact that, you know, what typically happens is a problem, and this, this is, he nailed it when he talked about this, what usually happens, what usually happens is we have a way of how we feel loved, right? And when we want to love someone else, we express it through the way that we want to feel loved. So if, my, if I like gifts, and I don't like gifts, okay, I don't like gifts, but uh, mine, is, mine is service. I like service. Okay, if, if, I, if I'm big with service, okay, if that's my big one, how I express that to my wife is by what? Serving. But that may not be what she wants. Hers is gifts. But I'm loving her as, as I, I, this is how I want to be loved. You know, I, I need to be served. 
and, and, but again, this, this is the expression of me loving her as I love myself. He says, no, 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 no. You love her as I have loved you. And how did he love you? Selfless. He gave everything he had for you. He went to the cross for you. He left his domain to die for you. He left everything he had to make sure that you had everything that you need. Being versus doing. The point I want to touch on tonight, and we're going to get to this, but true holiness will is going to also be separate. And I want to make sure that we understand that separate doesn't convey any error of being out of touch, aloof, or insensitive, or any form of exclusivity. Okay, people may initially think that, but Oftentimes, people are critical of what they don't understand. Okay? They're critical of what they don't understand. But I believe this. I believe ultimately true holiness, okay, true holiness from the inside out will not repel people watching. It will attract people. People are attracted to people that have relationship with God and are separated from the stuff Externally and internally. It's an attraction. You can pick folks out. Do you remember Sister, uh, what was her name? The hospital used to work at. Janine. Yes, Janine. Okay. I used to pick her up. Robin used to pick her up, bring her in. And you, you, you witnessed to it. Do you remember what she said, why she started coming to church here? I put you on the spot. I'm, okay. She, I'm going to. Robin will convert us. She picked her out. She said, look, the Holy Ghost is all over that lady right now. She was going into work. Tammy never witnessed to her at all. Never witnessed to her at all. But she knew that something was different about her. And she began to ask and ask and ask and ask. And finally, she, she came to church. True holiness will not repel people. It will attract them. Okay. The things that you and I do to remain separate from this world, the convictions that you adhere to, the spiritual disciplines that you maintain deep down when done in a godly fashion will attract people. We're going to read on down because I want to begin to kind of tie some of this stuff in. Take your Bible and can somebody, if you've got the King James Version, read Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Sister Reed, you've been nominated by your husband. <laughs> you said 13 through 16? Yes, ma'am. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt. What does salt do? Flavor. That's, all, that's, that's what I wanted right there. Flavor. Do you understand what he's saying? You bring, you bring things to life. You make this stuff deep. You make it fun. You make it enjoyable. It's not supposed to be drudgery. You are the salt. You, you are the salt. You know what? You, you ever get a good seasoning or salt? You know what happens? You know what you do with it? You put on everything. You know what I'm talking about? You try it on the, 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 the meat first. Oh, man, this would be good on some eggs. You put on the eggs next. You find yourself putting on that, oh, popcorn and everything else. And then before you know, you're putting your hand, you know, this is kidding me, okay? Taking spoons full of it. But you are the salt of the earth. That's what holiness does. You, you bring life to something that was dead. It brings a flavor, brings a pop. It brings excitement with it, okay? There's something about watching a, a you ever watch a whole marriage? Not a perfect marriage, but a marriage that's whole. Okay, where you see that man and that woman, they love each other. It's not perfect, but it's whole. There's something that brings it that say, you know what? That's, that, woo, if I, if, when, I, when I, if I get married, that's how I want it to be. It brings it life. That's what attracts people, okay? There's something about watching somebody, you ever seen watching them devour the Bible? Somebody at work, and everybody's on their tel- cell phone, and some people are working through lunch. But you ever see a, a guy or, or, or a girl sit, and you see them every single day at the lunch hour, and they're devouring their Bible. Not on the phone, but, I mean, you see them going through the book, and they underline. There's something about that's invigorating for you. You want to get into it. Holiness, being whole. You, it, it's salt. It's light. There's something about watching a young person separate themselves unto God. When you see a young person that's making a decision, I remember a couple years back, remember we were teaching Sunday school, Brother Collins and I were teaching Sunday school to teens, and man, you teach some teens, boy. Woo! <laughs> and, and teens are such a, they're, it's, man, it's, it's a tough age, but it's a fun age. And it's an age where they got so many questions. Remember what they used to do to us? We sit the whole class we try to pull stuff out of them, pull it out of them, okay? And then you know what they would do? Five minutes left in the class, and they would drop them bombs. Pastor, what's the meaning of life? What does it mean in Leviticus when he says this? Man, what did you, we had 30 minutes to go through this, man. And you want to wait to five minutes and drop, drop this stuff on us? But it was, it, was fun, it was a fun age. It really was. And I, I remember that at that age, you know, what, we're, what we were trying to do is, is that we had a, a classroom full of uh, all these Pentecostals, okay, you know, Sunday school's all full of all Pentecostals, and Brother Collins and I were simply just trying to get these, get these kids to have, be get grounded in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all we wanted to do. We just wanted them to have fun. We wanted to create a, a, a place where they can come. They said, look, there's no judgment, no judgment. Ask me the questions you want to ask. We'll talk about the things you want to talk about. We'll get your parents involved. So we've got parental, we've got three. We'll, we'll get all that, but we just want to have a place where you can go and just question your faith and get some depth to it so that when you step into it, you own it. You own it. And I remember, I remember, I remember emphatically, I remember emphatically, okay, I remember Jovanna Carlson. I remember Jovanna. I remember your granddaughter. And I remember, um, I, I remember there, there was a point in time where, you know, Jovanna was good at everything, okay. Jovanna was a straight-A student, 
played soccer, ran track, okay, on an honor road. She was that, that type of student. You know what I'm saying? Like, she was so sweet about it. You, just, you do any, anything wrong? You know, Javel was the type of you just poke to see, just, do you get mad? Do you get mad? It, it, the grandparents are shaking their heads right now, but, but, <laughs> but, but I, I remember, I remember the time, and I remember my wife, when Giovanna had made the decision that she was going to start altering her athletic uniforms for modesty. We didn't go over modesty. We didn't do that. We got, we're two men, we have to do all that stuff, okay? We, we didn't, never touched modesty at all. But, but I, I remember, I remember it, okay? She, she had decided her, her, her track uniforms and her, her sock uniforms, and she was good at all of it, okay? But she was going to start altering, and she had given my wife some of the shorts and the cut and the altering, things like that, to make sure that they were more modest. And I remember a fire being lit into me, because I looked at that young lady, and I said, this girl owns it. She owns it. This is a part, it's a part of her being. She, she, it, it, the, what she did says, look, in whatever scenario, whether I'm at school, whether I'm on the track, okay, whether I'm on the soccer field, whatever it is, modesty is not what I do. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's, it's, it's who you cannot accept when I go to sleep on modesty. And I remember at that moment, I said, that's it. That's why we do this. It took, it took, you know, you're pulling stuff out of them left and right, but at that moment I said, I'd give up 10 more years being stuck in that Sunday school if I got one, one more of those. Because she owned it. To, to watch a young lady at that age step into her own, nobody went over this. Nobody, I, I, don't, I don't know what you guys did at the home. You have to ask the Carlsons about that. I don't know what they taught. I don't know what they did. Okay, I don't, I know in jacket, I know you got, but the way she did it, it was her decision. I know we weren't talking about it. We, we never told, no. Nah. I'm not going to tell you to do that stuff. It's legalism. We didn't tell, we, we, I, we didn't, he's my witness. We never said anything like that at all. But this young lady, you talk about life, came back into me. Because all of a sudden, it's those moments where you look around, you turn around, and it says, somebody got it. She got it. We've been pouring in all this stuff, and you're like, somebody got it. We just wanted you to have a relationship with God and work on your being, and that would affect your doing. And it gave life, salt. As a teacher, it brought me to life. It brought us back, because some of those classes was dead, man. I've been looking at you like, man, what are we doing? Do you stink? Do I stink? What is we doing? It was rough, but it brought it back to life. Thomas, question. Now she goes, what? They, they were starting Bible studies in high school. Doing Bible studies in high school. I look back when I was 18, what was, that knuckle, what was the knucklehead here doing? Bible studies in high school. That ain't a requirement. Most high schools, we're just happy that you just stay alive. You know? They doing Bible studies. But they own it. They own it.
Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And here's the works. Here's what the works do. Glorify your Father in heaven. Ultimately, what it does is the works simply reflects the relationship that you have. And that's what we've been trying to pound home. It has nothing to do about the works. If you and I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the works are dead. They're absolutely dead. John 10, 10 says this, and I want you to understand this comprehensive level, okay? It says, the thief cometh not to but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I want you to take that, that's, and I'll read it again, I'll slow it down. It says, the thief cometh not to but to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I want you to notice the progression there. See the progression? Steal, kill, destroy. Each one amps up. Okay? And so here's what we have to understand. There, there are two sides of this battle. There's a battle for your soul. And both sides want a comprehensive, they want all of you. Satan is not looking just to steal from you. He's looking to kill you. He's looking to destroy you. He is looking to wipe you out. And your Lord Christ and Savior is saying, look, I don't want some of you. I don't want this part of you own. I want all of you. Every last bit of you I want. I want your failures. I want your fears. I want your hopes. I want your dreams. I want what, what keeps you up at night. Okay? I want everything that you, I want all of you. And that's the essence. That's the essence of where we are. Because what everybody ultimately wants is to be fully loved and to be fully known. Fully loved and fully known whole, complete. I can stand before God, and I don't have to put on a front, I don't have to do anything. I can go to God and share everything, everything, and he doesn't look at me and say, ew. Fully loved and fully known. Jesus' entire ministry was consistently about asking that one thing, is can we go deeper? Can we go deeper? Can we talk about things on a more comprehensive level? And we're going we're to shift here. I'm serious. What time am I? Um, we're going to spend the last portion tonight on John chapter 5. So take your Bible and turn to John chapter 5. I'm going to get a reader. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 15. We're going to read this story. I'm not going to stop it. We're going to read it. We're going to just dissect it a little bit here. Yes, sir. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 15, sir. This is New King James. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew uh, Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had infirmity 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. All right, we're going to take a look at this tonight, and we're just going to make some observations, um, recapping the story. But what are some things, when you hear that scripture, it's the man at the pool of Bethesda. What are some things that stood against or threatened this man from being made whole? I've got them up here, but these are some things that stand against us being made whole. Okay, but you can definitely type in as you as, as things come to you. First and foremost, things that come against us being made whole is our mindsets. Our mindsets. I've been talking to you all night about this being external, internal, external, internal, external, internal. Okay, things that will affect us from being made whole are our mindsets. Okay, we read the story. And we're gonna read. Um, we're gonna hear about this man. How long had he been in the in the infirmity? Anybody know? Thirty-eight. Years, 38 years, whoo, 38 years this man had been bound, okay? And you know what happens when you're bound for that long? When you're bound for that long physically, you know what happens? You begin to get bound mentally. You get to get bound emotionally. You get bound psychologically. You get bound in every aspect of your being, okay? You get bound within, it begins to affect your heart. Some of you, some of us, you've been dealing with situations for so long, you don't know when it even started. It saps your joy, it saps your hope, it saps your strength, it saps your mindset, it saps your perspective. Sap mindsets. Second thing, okay, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Second thing of what stood against or threatened this man from being made whole was, you know what? He's drawing hope from the wrong pool. He's drawing hope from the wrong pool. Okay? All right. Now, we got this. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read scripture, and, and let's just back up for a second here. So within the Bible, within the scripture, we got this little passage that's very odd, Right? And I'm going to, there's this passage about, I don't know if you just, if you read over this and just cool with it, fine. But I, sometimes I read this stuff and I go, wait. So the story is about a man sitting in a pool, okay, scripture. And this man, the Bible says, is at this pool that has five porches. And the Bible says the multitudes of lame and sick sat there, right? Okay, but it means there are heaps of people that were broken, that were lame, that had burdens, that were maimed. Broke people, hurting people on the masses are sitting at this pool. And what are they waiting for? By who? The angel. Like, okay, wait, 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 wait. 
didn't stop right there. So we got to unpack this, man. Okay? So these people are sitting there, and the Bible says they're waiting for an angel to come down and trouble the water, stir it up. According to how we read the scripture, the first person to step in the water gets it, right? Okay? And so it's kind of a game of, you know, who can get there first? And, and, and you know, you, you, you stop right there, and I look, and I say, okay, hold on. The number one thing when you do is you always take the Bible and use the Bible to substantiate the Bible. And I've been looking through scripture, and I cannot find out a thing. There's no other passage. I can't give you a verse. I can't give you any other scripture that substantiates that angels come down and stir water. Okay? So essentially, in, in taking a look at this, you, and I, I hate going to commentary, but you have to go to commentary sometime to get historical context. Um, all the commentary says is this must have been some type of Jewish folklore or superstition. That's what, that's what it must have been. But it was a strong enough folklore that you had masses of people here. This is not some, you know, some fly-by-night issue. This is a massive issue. And I, I can't, so I guess what I'm saying is my standing here is I can't substantiate that this actually happened or why these people are, are waiting for angels. Do angels come down and stir pools and people can step in? I can't, I can't speak to that at all, okay? Even I, I looked in some of the best commentators. And this is how, you, this, is how this is kind of what led me to the idea that this is a Jewish folklore. Okay, if you have to ever read commenta um, commentary, always take it from a man by the name of Flavius Josephus. Am I ever Flavius Josephus? Who is Flavius Josephus? Jewish historian. Now, Flavius Josephus has a leg up on a, probably 99% of historians or commentators. Why? Perfect. He was a contemporary Okay, during the time when Jesus was alive. So he can provide a lot of context that Matthew Henry, Adam Clark, all the other commentators can't provide. So usually they quote from him because they're trying to go back as far as they can. But when you go back to Flavius Josephus, he says absolutely nothing about this. And so that's what leads to believe that whatever this incident of the pools being stirred, things of that nature was some type of a Jewish myth or folklore. And so what's happening is this man is drawing from the wrong pool, okay? Verse 3, basically. Now, I want to I maybe stay on that a little bit because you know what? There are plenty of people, and people in this room that are broken, that are burdened, but we're drawing from wrong pools. We looked at this man, and yes, sis, he's drawn from a hope show, a, a show on pony tricks, some, some snake oil, whatever you want to call it. But there's plenty of people in our culture that are drawing from wrong pools. You know what some wrong pools are? What are some wrong pools that we have that we draw from? Government. Good. Social media. Bam. Let's, let's stay there. Social media. So wh why is social media the wrong pool? Okay. One click, one upload, we present ourselves in our best moments, don't we? It's not true. We block who we want to block. We like who we want to like, okay? People post things that, 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 that you know, they, that they don't, they, they hide behind a post. Things that they would never say to you, they'll post it. But you wouldn't say it to my face, but we'll post it. And then yank it down at the last minute. People do that. Once it's offensive, n never think of, uh, forgive me, they'll just pull it back, Okay? 
but we're confident in, you know, in that social media because we're distant enough where we can stay back but still present and we can kind of throw shots from afar. Social media. It's how some people get their inspiration per day. Somebody posts, and it's, it's great communication. I'm not here to tear it, tear it all down. But people are drawing from that. What else? Some wrong pools. Popular entertainment. Yeah. Any media, social media, regular media. Okay. You, you keep going to the show after show after show, and they set these shows up so you know so you got to keep watching them. They, they, come on. You, you, they leave you the cliffhanger so you got to say that the person would watch the next show, and it leaves you unsatisfied because you get to the end. It's tasteless. And you didn't waste all your time watching that mess. Politics. Politics. I'm going to step on some toes here tonight. But politics. The best description I heard of politics is a white collar version of pro wrestling. Politics is a white collar version of pro wrestling. Everybody familiar with what pro wrestling is? Okay. Well, pro wrestling is an exhibition, is a combination, really, it's a combination of what you call athletics and theatrics for entertainment. But here, understand how this stuff is staged. You have a good guy and you have a bad guy, okay? And you have all these narratives and plots, and they clash in the ring. That's their main stage. Their center stage is in the ring, okay? And now understand this. We laugh at this stuff, but pro wrestling has a following of millions. I kid you not, millions. You have grown men and women now that follow this stuff. Grown men can drive a car, holding down a job, got kids sitting right with their kids watching this stuff. They got T-shirts. They got all the paraphernalia. Okay, grown men. Okay. I work at United Health Group, and this is this what I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Um, United Health Group has, a, has another division um, that is a division that, so they have all types, they have a division called R&D, Research and Design. And they, what they do is they come up with pilot programs and resources to help employer groups, various employer groups. And they may come up with a program for fitness. They may come up with a program for weight loss, eating, everything under the sun. They, they, they got it. But they have a program, it's called Sanbello, and Sanbello is actually for mental health. And it's for various employer groups that say, hey, we want resources for mental health. I was talking with the VP of, uh, of, of our, our wing, and he's telling me, he says, recently they had reached out uh, the WWE. Everybody know what the WWE is? Okay. Vern, what's the WWE, Vern? Royal Wrestling Entertainment. The WWE recently reached out to United Health Group, specifically San Bello, because they wanted to find out if they had any resources for mental health employees. One of the executives says that the fan base was was they, they needed some resource around that because a significant a part of that their fan base is, is, is struggling right now. People that are captivated, they've got fantasies, they, they, they've lived and died. They have these wrestlers, and they t the wrestlers take on these specific personas, and they live and die with each of those characters in the ring. In the ring, during the wrestling. 
And remember what the original quote that I told you is, is that politics is only the white-collar version of pro wrestling, ain't it? That's all it is. Okay? And so well, here's what we do is we have this grand stage. You know what we do? We have these two characters. Okay? They're, and what, what, what politics does is, you know what they do? They'll fold in aspects of reality. Okay? They divide us. They fold in aspects of reality. They, okay, they'll fold in taxes. They'll fold in government. They'll fold in what a, what a candidate thinks about moral issues. Okay, and you know what happens is, is, is that all it does is the same thing that happens with wrestling happens with politics. The anxieties run high. You know what happens? Except the anxiety doesn't run high when, when, when you're counting one, two, three. Okay, the anxiety runs high when people are sitting on the edge of their chair waiting for those poll numbers to come in. My life ends and dies on those poll numbers. Anxiety runs high. At the center stage of it all, we have one candidate against another candidate. Okay? And this is why I didn't tell you about pro wrestling. The problem with pro wrestling is, you know what happens at the end of the, the wrestling match? You know what those two guys do? Bingo. Bingo. You go to backstage, and those two are having a poke and a smile, shaking each other's hand. Politics is the same way. Don't you think that those folks, they, they run in the same social circles. They're in the same fraternities. They're in the same social groups. They invite each other to the same weddings. Don't you think those folks are actually against each other? When four years ago, I saw you at her wedding. And I think some of y'all know who I'm talking about. Four years ago, I saw you at her wedding. Your daughters are our best friends. And we buy this stuff. That these people are actually against each other. Again, what, what, what pro wrestling? It's staged. There's a strong element. There's a strong element that the more and more I see this stuff, the more and more I watch it, that this stuff on the main stage politically is staged. I'm not going to sit here and make a doctrine out of it, but I'm going to just be real with you. Something don't smell right. Just because they got an R, one's got an R and one's got a D behind their names, and we buy this stuff. I had a client from Costa Rica. Okay, watch this. Client from Costa Rica. Four years ago. Trump shook the world up, okay? And I, I walked into work, and you talk about heaviness. <sighs> heaviness. My client from Costa Rica, she said, she said, She's a financial executive at a place called Mosaic. She says, Nick, she had an accent. She says, Nick, there's a lady out there with mascara. Mascara is wrong, wrong, you know? And people were shook, shook up. But it's on both sides. Because you go four years later, people living and dying by this. For years, months, weeks, depressed, depressed about election results drawing from the wrong pool. All of their hopes are hanging on a candidate that in four years, you know what you got to do? Recycle them again. Go vote it up again. Go, you know, get, 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 the, get the polling, get, 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 get out, get, go rile up the bases, the masses. Drawing from a pool that's empty. What's your pool? What's your pool? What are you drawing from that's still not satisfying you? 
So I'm not giving you hope. What's your pool? Those are just sample pools. What's your pool? What's your pool? Third one here. Apathy. Apathy. Okay. We're going to touch on this. I think this night you actually touched on this. Is one of the observations I'm looking at seeing here is that the the, the impotent man says this. He says, uh, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. And what the idea is that, you know, I can't get my wholeness or my blessing because someone else has the inside track. Those that are more able can touch God. Those that aren't as damaged can touch God. Those that don't have as many issues can touch God. But not me. Those, don't have, those that have a, a better pedigree, a better position, they don't have as much of a bad past can touch God. And the message throughout Jesus' entire ministry was always, whosoever come. Come. I don't need come. You got problems? Come. Okay, come, 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 come. Whosoever come. I don't care whether you whether, whether you're broken. I don't, he, he touched people from all ends of the spectrum, all ends of the paradigm. All I'm looking for, if you've got to the point where you say, look, what I'm involved in is not making me whole, he says, come. Just come. Just come. Come. And so holiness, here's one of the things, is not exclusive. Hear me now. Holiness is not exclusive, okay? It's not for a certain subset of people to enter into personal relationship with God, okay? In the Old Testament, understand this, that the purpose of separating Israel wasn't just to exclusively deal with them. Everybody understand that? God had always had a plan to, to, to basically extend a relationship to everybody. The only thing he was doing is he was using the Israelites as a point people. I need somebody to start with. I'm going to start with these folks. I'm going to start with them because they're actually the less of, <laughs> they're the less of everybody. So if I start with them, they know, they know very well. Okay, anything that you do, any blessing you get, you know I didn't done it for you. Okay. But it was never supposed to be exclusive. Okay. But here's what we've done. Okay, here's what we've done. Here's what happens in Western culture. In Western culture, here's what I believe. When we get to exclusivity, okay, part of the problem has been, it's been a twofold problem. Exclusivity has been many times through poor leadership. Catholic Church made a big divide between the, the clergy and the laity. Okay? Put the Bible in Latin, keep, the, you know, keep everybody in the dark. That's, that's a, it's a big divide. Okay? So uh, you, got, you have to understand that, that aspect of, of, of exclusivity, there's two parts to blame for that. Okay? First, you can, take a look, you can take that and you can put that on leadership. Okay? Some of that's intentional. It's, it has been intentional throughout our history throughout the church. But another part, and here's where we're going to read about this, because I, 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 I really want to dig down into this. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 21. And can somebody read it?
and she saw him live. Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoked. And the people start, trembled, and stood afar off. Then said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you hear what they just said? What did I tell Moses? You do what? You speak to God and tell us what he said. We don't want to speak to him because uh, we don't, don't want to die. Ho hold on, man. You speak to God. We'll take it from you. You, you connect with God. You do the sacrifice. You pour out yourself. You pray, pastor. You do this. You give us the word. But we, we don't, we don't want to do what it takes to enter into a relationship ourselves with God. We don't want to spend the time on the knees and the prayer and all that. You speak to God and you give it back to us. And that's the problem with exclusivity. While part of it is to blame on leadership, part of it is to blame on our own selves because we have been apathetic about it being easier for a man to sit up behind a pulpit and tell us about the word of God than us to dig that stuff out for ourselves. Don't tell me it's about exclusive when you got all these Bibles in this room. All these Bibles, we got Bibles on phones, Bibles on apps. Okay, we have enough Bibles to start a whole war in here. We talk, we're looking at generations centuries ago that didn't couldn't read, couldn't write, and they, you know, they, if they got one, one page and could read one verse, they were happy. They couldn't read it. But exclusivity, okay, in our culture today, there's no room for it when you have access to the word of God and you can go before the throne room yourself. But too often times, our culture is lazy. We are lazy. We're apathetic. We want somebody else to, you interpret what it means. You dig this stuff out. You do the prayer. You do the fasting. You pastor, you, you're the one that lives holy. You set the example. No, no, no. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to do it alone. I can't do it for you. Because your relationship with God is between you and him. It's not between you and me. Apathy. Moses, you go up and you, we don't, we don't, oh, oh, the thunder's over there. Woo! You know, uh, the light's lightning over there. You, we'll stay back here. And God's calling them into a relation. He's, he's begging them, I'm here. And I'm not going to show up in a tinkling sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm God. I showed you my raw power. Come in. And Moses is like, and the people are like, Thomas Fletcher. One of the most astounding things, if you hear me now, sometimes I read these scriptures, I go, wait, wait. You ever wonder why, okay, so you got all these people that are in here, and they're sitting around this pew, and then nobody from this bunch of people really get up and walk out and say anything other than just get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like you got, I mean, you got, think about it, you got masses of land by this pool, and you didn't see this man walk up and say, Let's go. Nobody saw that. 
Nobody saw that. Oh, 38 years. I mean, that would have, that would have, wait a minute. Hold on. John just got up and left the, John walked away. Wait, who said to, wait, 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 wait. Nobody saw this. address. <laughs> All right, fourth thing is sin. Sin. The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Let's define what sin is. Okay, sin is anything that goes against the will of God. Anything, 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 whether that's spelled out plain in the Bible whether it's something, a conviction that God is directly speaking to you, okay? If God has been urging you to do it, okay, it will disrupt you from being whole and will also negate, negate your relationship with him. Sin will do that. And I want you to understand sin, the manner of, not just those Ten Commandments, sins of these old folks used to say commission and omission. Omission is when we don't do stuff that God has told us to do. That's sin. It's as, it's as, as if you're stealing. We don't, well, God's been nudging me to go talk to that person. That's sin if you don't do that. That's sin. Because when it's, we're talking about it, see, you can't have a, you want a personal relationship. God's working on you. He's speaking personal stuff to you. It's, if I don't go talk to that person, that's not sin. That sin's on you, though, because he told you to go talk to him. He didn't tell me. Had he told me and I didn't do it, that would have been sin on me. But you're not going to see that in the Bible. You can't pull that from the Bible. Well, does it say that I'm supposed to talk to that? No, that's God speaking to you. And that's what a relationship is. That's what a relationship is. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Okay, when, I, when we first got married, Robin downloaded this game for me on iPad called Bejeweled. You ever played Bejeweled? Anybody played Bejeweled before? I know somebody that played Bejeweled. It's like, it's like basically it's a, a pre-candy crush. Okay, pre-candy crush. Like Tetris. It's like Tetris. But, you know, she downloaded this thing, and I would play this thing for hours, man. And I was, I, man, I was blowing them scores up. <laughs> and I'm dead serious. I'd be up to 2 o'clock in the morning. Grown man now, sitting on the couch, okay, sitting there just blowing this game up. Baby, I broke my record. She sleep. Okay, God said, get rid of that game. Get rid of it. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I don't want you to get the, the pastor was down in the basement living in his parents' house with a controller. No, 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 no. I'm still going to work. I'm still taking care of, okay, feeding my kids. Hey, this is after the kids go to bed. It was a, basically a mind-numbing game. I, I used to play it when I was, when I, was um, I was a personal trainer. I used to come home sometimes, and, you know, you're dealing with people all day. I just needed a veg. I needed to just get oh, I needed something just to numb my mind. And... She found out that I liked that. That's why she had downloaded it for me. But God has speak to me and say, get rid of that. Get rid of it. She even said, baby, you want me to upgrade? No. No. Get rid of it. Now, if you play it, I don't know what God spoke to you. But if I play it, that's sin for me. That's sin for me. Hear me now. If I, if I go back to that game, that's sin for me. And that's what a relationship is. Because this thing was a waste of I could have been digging something out of the word. I could have been praying. I could have been doing something maybe more constructive with my wife. I neglected my wife now. But I could have been doing something, 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 something suddenly that would have brought me into a relationship with him that would have made me 
whole. Again, sin will negate your holiness, and it will, it will sever your relationship with God. Make no bones about it, because the Bible says it gives us every indication that the reason this man was impotent is because he had sin in his life. He wasn't whole, he wasn't holy, he didn't have religion because of sin. Because okay, the Bible says, Jesus says what? Go in what? Sin no more. Okay. Last one here. And we will get together. Is the man never knew who Jesus was. John chapter 5, verse 12 through 13 says, Then asked they him, what man, is, what man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was, I'm not sure if you're asking. Somebody keep reading there. Keep reading. And he that was healed wist not who, was, who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, multitude being This man never knew who Jesus was. And I think, and here's what I'm going to leave us with tonight. Some of us, I'm going to put a hard question. A hard question. And this is not at all, not at all against anybody. But sometimes I question, do we know who he is? Do we really know who he is? Because do we realize Jesus Jesus asked the man, go back to the conversation Jesus had with the man. He comes up to him and he says, do you want to be made whole? What is the man's response? I got nobody to get me in the pool. Pool, man, we're talking about the pool. I'm asking if you want to be made whole. You talking about getting in that silly little pool? I'm trying to, do a, I'm trying to go for the root. You're going for the fruit, my friend. And many of us do not realize the work that he's trying to do in your lives. He's trying to get to some root stuff. But you and I focus on the fruit stuff. Why am I lonely? Why can't I get this? Why haven't you answered this? Why haven't you healed that? He's saying, look, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna, if you find somebody, you're still going to be lonely. I want you to have a relationship with me, me, me. Okay, you're lo th That's what I want you. I want you all to myself. That's what I want. I want us to have a, then we can talk about that other stuff. Comprehensive. This man's going for the fruit off of the silly superstition of jumping into a pool, having to be the first, how sad is that? You got to be the first one into the pool. If you don't get in, somebody else gets it. You got to wait the next season. And Jesus saying like, look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You ain't got to worry about the pool. And he's saying that to many of us today. Look, I'm here. I'm here. I want a relationship with you. Let's stand. Never ask Jesus for We're going to continue to get into to holiness next week. Obviously, we're just dismissed. Everybody know that. Uh, if you can, please, 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 many hands make the, make the work light. Uh, next week, we'll be at camp. It's our camp work week. So I think the time is between 530 and 7.
Whenever you get off work, when you, just, you can just head down there. Everybody know where camp is? If you do not, we will uh, definitely make the announcement. But the week after, we will resume. And uh, the week after, we're going to dive into a specific topic that I think will uh, begin to really open some stuff up. And um, we're, we're going to take a look at a group that is uh, really maintain their holiness during difficult time periods. They maintained standards during a time period in which culture was raging against um, was raging against everything that they stood for. And we're going to get into that, and we're going to get into how all of that played out. So two weeks we'll be back here. But I want to encourage you today, do something, 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 something to draw nigher close to him. And remember, it's not about doing, it's about what? Being. You dismiss 